I thought that the university was a pretty open place for sharing all kinds of ideas. That was certainly my experience. And I thought, well, here we are 23 years later, it's going to be even more so. Mm. And it was disappointing to see that quite the opposite has happened. There is not a lot of space for what would be considered unpopular opinions Mm. and by unpopular opinions i mean ones that are conservative in nature there is no space for that hello everyone and welcome to freedom featured i'm your host barry bussey with me today my special guest is paige toms who's a phd student at the University of Victoria in the law faculty. And Paige, I want to welcome to our program today. Thank you so much, Barry, for having me. I'm quite excited. Well, I tell you, I'm excited because I'm excited about the research that you're involved with. Anytime that someone is researching on lawyers and then specifically religious lawyers, I want to know, okay, hey, what's happening? And I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about your background and why is it you're interested in studying about religious lawyers or religious lawyering, I think is the term that you use. That's a great question. Um, First of all, I'll say that I'm excited that you're excited because as a, as a PhD student, you know, it's always our biggest fear that just nobody is, is going to care a whit about our research, which often nobody outside of academia really cares about academia. I, I will say a couple of things. I will say that I'm I'm neither a religious nor a lawyer. So that sort of puts me in a bit of a unique position here. Mm-hmm. What I am interested in is the intersection between religion and law and what has happened to that intersection over the last, I would say, really probably the last 40 years, 50 years, uh, but certainly in earnest in the last 10 years. What I see happening in in law schools and perhaps in the legal field although of course i again i am speaking as a non-lawyer is that we are starting to really recognize the value that lawyers as persons and not just as these sort of neutral litigators or neutral arbiters bring to the profession Mm. but it seems that that is limited to the perspective of a lawyer who is also a woman or a lawyer who is also a person of color or a lawyer who is also an LGBTQ plus person. And and that's great. Those perspectives are really important. Um, Mm -hmm. But we are not looking at the perspective of lawyers of faith and what they also might bring to the profession. Uh, Certainly in Canada, scholarship legal scholarship has ignored the question of religious lawyers there's there's more scholarship coming out of the u.s possibly you know different attitudes towards religion and and certainly just a bigger population Uh, but i find our lack of curiosity curious to say the least now so you you said that you're not a religious person yourself right Mm -hmm. So I find that intriguing in and of itself. Like, what is it that spurred your your interest to say, hey, what what is it about these religious lawyer types? A couple of 
things, you know, I, I, I majored in religious studies as an undergrad, which was a very long time ago now in the early nineties. And even that decision really quite took me by surprise. So I went to a, I went to a Catholic elementary school and, and a Catholic high school. I grew up with, you know, one parent who was Italian. So ergo Catholic. Mm -hmm. uh, so they sort of go hand in hand. And when I was leaving high school, I was very ready to leave religion behind me. Mm. You know, I, I started sort of looking through the remember back in the day, because we're kind of old now, Barry, you would get your your big schedule in the mail of all the courses. There was yes, no online yes, options. Yes. And I was flipping through them and and there were these courses in religious studies that I found so interesting and so intriguing. They were so interdisciplinary. They were history and they were geography and they were political and they were personal and they told stories. And I fell in love with the field mm. uh, sort of as an academic, I guess. Now at that time I was really interested in, in Mariology. And so uh, it's weird to think where my life would be now if I became a Mariologist, likely I would be out of a job because nobody's really talking about Mary anymore, but that piece never went away. Mm. Now I was also a hardcore feminist at that time I was just coming out as a as a gay person and so I wasn't particularly interested to say the least in the plight of religious people whose politics were very different from mine mm. now skip ahead 30 years and some of those things haven't changed I still am very left of center I still identify as a feminist I'm I'm a openly gay woman I'm married to a woman but what has happened is that I see this interesting shift happening in rights in mm. in charter rights in let's say the the bc um you know the bc uh, human rights code <clears throat> and i'll use bc as an example because that's been my home for the last 28 years you know those those rights in theory are supposed to sort of run side by side with no one right getting more attention or more privilege mm. than the other and it doesn't just doesn't seem to exist that way so certainly i i would say that you know this shift has benefited me in in many ways, in that as a woman, I have certainly benefited from the shift in what we value now. Certainly as a gay person, my uh, my life has improved incredibly in terms of rights. Mm -hmm. but, but I have become increasingly uncomfortable by the idea that that my rights now are at the top of the heap, uh, mm. over and above the rights of many others. And so I don't want my rights to overshadow somebody else's rights, like the rights of a person who might be conservative and religious. Mm -hmm. There has to be a way for these two sets of values to coexist. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure yet how that happens, but I, but I believe that it can happen, that it's meant to happen. Mm. You know, it's interesting, Paige. I obviously come from a very conservative uh, mindset, very religious in my own life. And I have come in my own studies and in, uh, you know, with my academic studies and all the rest. And I, I've, I've come to the same conclusion as yourself in that there is this, I, I think you you explained it very well, there is, uh, even though the Supreme Court says there is no hierarchy of rights, certainly mm -hmm. the Trinity Western University case dealing with the law school would suggest otherwise. And Absolutely. and I have been increasingly uncomfortable with with what's been happening. And in my writing, I've, I've always used the the argument or the sense that, you know, the whole prospect of a liberal, free and democratic society, as the charter would refer to it, uh, but it comes from a liberal philosophical bent. And, and my sense is that the whole liberal project is trying to figure out how we can live together, even though we have very different perspectives, we, we come from mm -hmm. very different avenues, but how can we live together peacefully on the mm. same piece of real estate, you know, and, and mm. i.e. Canada and, yeah. um, you know, or any other Western world country. But it just strikes me that that it's been very difficult to be able to be engaged in a conversation like you and I are having here now. Like, I mean, this mm. is this very is difficult. unique. And for those of you who are watching, I'm sure you're you're probably uh, thinking, like, how is it that two people from very different perspectives can just sit down and have a conversation? And um, and I think that's so important. And I I I really applaud you for just stepping back and, and and having a look at at what's happening and and how can and what do you see then uh, as you've stepped back and you look at the situation? Are there any concerns you have with how the or at least the trajectory we're on as a society? Yeah, I, I do have concerns. You know, I think the Trinity Western case is a, is a really great example. Uh, and I will say I wrote my master's thesis on Trinity Western, uh, not not the law school specifically, uh, but the evolution of their community covenant kind of over time as a response to changes that were happening in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I had the privilege of interviewing many Trinity Western people, faculty, students, staff, they are also struggling. Many of them are struggling to figure out their, their place in the world. And they certainly have concerns about, you know, what's going to happen now. The media has made us look so terrible that I'm not going to get a job when I get out of here. And that's problematic. And listen, some of those students are, are I would say, not as conservative as I expected them to be. Uh, but they but they go to Trinity because it gives them the opportunity to study the world from a Christian perspective. Right. For some of them, it's a liberal Christian perspective. For some of them, it's a conservative. But they recognize that that's not really going to be an option for them in most public universities. And that's a problem. If we can't all bring our varying perspectives into a university where we're supposed to be thinking and be critical, where on earth can we do it? So when the university is starting to shut that down, that is, that's devastating for me. I've 
talked to some university TWU graduates and the stories, especially during the time of the uh, of the cases as they were making their way up to the Supreme Court on its law school. You know, there were people who simply wouldn't put the name of their university on their CV. There were people who, when they were faculty members, were speaking at various academic conferences. And once they got up to speak, then other people in the crowd would, would just get up and leave because they didn't mm. want to be seen as somehow legitimizing TWU and its faculty and that kind of thing. And it, and it was really a raw, a raw moment, certainly within the legal profession. And ultimately, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled against the Christian community. And, and, and to, to me, I, I think most Christian lawyers would look at it that, yes, indeed, the Supreme Court did choose a, a side that was political as opposed Absolutely, to legal. They did. You know, <laughs> I'm glad that you that you talked about the experience of some Trinity professors, you know, not wanting to talk about where they're from or going to conferences and not wanting their name tag to say their institution or having people get up and leave. You know, when when we talked about me being on the podcast, I did a moment where I thought, oh my gosh, am I committing professional suicide here by going onto this podcast? And uh, and I thought, well, you know, so be it. I I really have to do what I what I think is the is the right thing to do. The Trinity Western decision. I will say that when I told people when I was doing my masters and I told people what I was what I was working on, I had one of two responses. If people knew me, they would say, "Oh well, we know what side you're on." Wink, wink. Right. Meaning that this paper is going to destroy Trinity Western. Now, a master's thesis should never be an opinion piece, right. frankly, and that was not my argument. Uh, and then if people didn't know me, the question was, oh, did you go to Trinity? With a bit of a suspicious undertone in their voice, like, who is this hmm, that I'm dealing with? About, do I have this conservative Christian? And should I get ready to, you know, pick a fight? And neither of those things were true. So I didn't go to Trinity. I I wouldn't go to Trinity, right? It wouldn't be a fit for me. I do think that their academic records are excellent. And I think that schools like that are important to exist, but it wouldn't be the choice for me for obvious reasons. And on the other side of it, I was not in opposition to Trinity Western having a law school. And it didn't feel like the decision was really based on the law. And I just I just sort of re-read or skimmed the dissent again this morning, because I suspected we would talk about this. And the dissent really felt much more like it was actually based on the law, right? They talked about the preamble to the Civil Marriage Act that said, you know, holding sort of traditional or moral values of religion is not inconsistent with, uh, you know, with the, the safety and well-being of the broader community. They talked about accommodation. It felt much more balanced. Mm. Now, I don't know the the religious beliefs of Cote or Brown, so perhaps mm. they were also you know, listen, we're we're all influenced by the schema in which we see the world, right. both people that are that are on the left and people that are on the right. We all do it. But at least on paper, the dissent seemed much more balanced to me. So I will say I'm right now I'm a visiting scholar uh, at Osgood 
-hmm. privileged to be so. I will say visiting scholars sounds much more fancy than it is. Certainly there are conservative students here. There are, I'm sure, evangelical Christian students at Osgoode, at U of T, at Western, at every law school mm -hmm. in the country. And so we're not monitoring the beliefs of every student that goes into law school. So why are we doing it for this law school? You know, the argument was that it's a law school and they're, they're breaking the law by having this covenant. I say pish posh. Well, to that. It's, uh, it's show the exact me where, opposite. Show me what, yeah, show me what law, yeah. right? The law yeah, exactly. also says yeah. that we have to accommodate to it to the point of undue hardship. Right. This to me did not meet the barrier of undue mm. hardship. I say that as a as a gay woman, right? Mm -hmm. It's a peculiar place that that we're in right now. And I think that. I just see us over and over, you know, shooting ourselves in the foot by by trying now to police people's beliefs, mm. not their actions, right? This yep. because we don't know what the actions of Trinity Law graduate is going to be moving forward. They could go and and do unbelievable, fabulous things, as many of their teachers did mm -hmm. once they were allowed to, you know, to confer uh, education degrees. I I think when you start policing people's beliefs, we're on very scary territory. Yes. Uh, and I will use, I'm going to use, I thought about this this morning, whether or not I wanted to do this. I'm going to use Jordan Peterson as an example. Now, I am not a fan of Jordan Peterson. I think that much of what he says for me is problematic. Right. However, I watched a video when, when he was sort of in the eye of the storm. Right. Now, again, listen, Jordan Peterson is not the enemy here, right? He's mm -hmm. not Let's not treat him like he's Hitler, for goodness sake, mm -hmm. or or some other equivalent, very evil person, right? He's not, you know, his 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 beliefs and some of what he says are contrary to mine, mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. I watched a video again it's a few years ago and he was invited by a student group it was a very informal thing sort of you know in a open space at, at uh, his home institution to come and say a few words about um, freedom of speech mm -hmm. and I don't know if you are familiar with this video so he shows up and uh, there's um, maybe 20 people that come to sort of counter protest and all they did, they came with loudspeakers and all they did was created a tremendous amount of noise and yelling right. so that he couldn't be hurt. And I was horrified mm. as a person who's very left of center. I was actually quite disgusted. Yeah. How, I mean, listen, if you're going to argue against somebody like Peterson, then you really have to listen to him. You have to know what he's saying. Right. If you don't, how on earth do you formulate an intelligent counter position? I went into a bookstore again, right around the same time. And, and Peterson had just released a new book. I can't remember what it's called right now. And it was sitting at the sort of front counter of this bookstore. 
And I just uh, sort of as a social experiment, you know, there's a young person working at the counter. And I said, oh, we have Jordan Peterson right here up front. And he said, yeah, I don't even think we should be selling it in the store. And I thought, oh, I knew you were going to do that. I thought, I bet you you haven't read this book. I haven't read the book either. So I can't critique it. If you haven't read it, if you haven't listened, you can't critique it. Mm. And yet we are so quick to do so. And Mm. I just, I find it very disconcerting. Not only is it disconcerting, it's actually very destructive to a civil society. Because if we're, Mm -hmm. if we're unable to talk with one another, unable to to have the conversation, then our views are basically in a tunnel vision and we're not being able to see the other perspectives. And mm-hmm. even though we may disagree with those perspectives, we can at least appreciate where the other person is coming from and mm-hmm. not demonize them. Because mm-hmm. the the worst thing we could be doing is to create the other, right? Like, they are that way and mm-hmm. we are opposing them. So anything they say, anything they do, we're going to be in opposition. It's like, no, we need to understand where everyone is coming from so that we can appreciate them because guess what? We're living together. I mean, we're neighbors. Mm-hmm. We have to allow people to have that freedom, freedom of speech and all the rest. And I appreciate what you say with respect to Peterson, because early on, and I think what really propelled him to be such an international star of which he is, is the fact that he wasn't given a fair hearing here in this country. And yeah. and and it was, it was like, there's just no way that this can continue if we are to mm-hmm. live peaceably together. I appreciate that you say that because I I look at his success and I look at his kind of stardom mm-hmm. and I feel like oh us on the left we we did that we'd made him we gave him a bigger voice than he ever would have had if we had just sat and listened and engaged in conversation. Yeah, and... I, I think I think that's a big part of it and. I would be kind of a pro Peterson kind of guy in the sense of of, of, of his uh, perspective on things. But the, the reality is anytime we try to use force or coercion mm-hmm. to push down an idea, it's like grabbing a hold of a apple seed and squeezing it. It's just simply going to take off as it were, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, 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 and we see it in so many so many different types of conversations or lack of conversations, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, you're dealing with the vaccine mandates and the government's uh, proposals or whatever it is. If you're not, Mm -hmm. if you're not allowing people the opportunity to speak and we're just going to impose and coerce, uh, then, then it makes it worse. And, and, and like, you know, for me as a, as a parent, I this just popped in my head. I, I remember one day my boys were inside uh, on their computers, just playing games or whatever. And my father was outside in the garden and was picking rocks out of the garden. And I just came and I said to the boys, I said, boys, what on earth are you doing? Here you are. You've, you've got a 70-year-old man out there uh, picking up rocks. You guys are in here playing on computers. Like, how come you're not out there helping us? And uh, so I thought I was being a good father, just trying to uh, get my boys out and uh, and helping their grandfather. But then one of them came over to me and I thank him for it. Uh, He came over afterwards and he says, Dad, you know, when you spoke to us like that, he said, "Um, 
that was very disrespectful. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, son, you know what? Thank you for that. Because you're absolutely right. I should not have spoken to you in that tone. I should have uh, been a lot more congenial with respect to it. But I said, I want to thank you uh, for being willing to confront me because I needed to be confronted on that point. Mm -hmm. And um, but having those conversations with people we disagree with and, and to be able to to be able to honestly say, hey, guess what? You know what? Uh, I think you're off there. And uh, mm. but let's let's talk about it. You know, it's it's mm. like having that kind of uh, relationships is are so important. Shame is a poor motivator. And as a parent, you you, you tend to uh, uh, well, the, the, the saying is sometimes you live and you learn. And sometimes I think I learn more than I lived. You know, it's like you, mm. you, you know, you have to learn from your from your mistakes and all the rest of it. Mm. And I think, I think all of society has to learn from our mistakes. And, and we've made so many mistakes in the past. We've, our history books are full of them. And uh, why mm. can't we just pay attention to what's happened in the past and say, hey, listen, mm. this is not how we treat people. There's a really brilliant, I think brilliant independent film. It's quite old now. It's probably at least 20 years old called Citizen Ruth and with Laura Dern and in it she plays a young woman I would say you know somewhat street entrenched addicted to inhalants and she finds herself pregnant and she becomes really this political pawn for people on both sides of the kind of reproductive freedom argument mm -hmm. right so so the pro-choice side and the pro-life side both use her to really promote their own agenda without actually ever having a conversation with either one another or with her and i remember watching that and thinking this is a an example of just a broader thing that's happening within our within society I think where everything has become very political there's little conversation happening and there are people people living in the shadows that are really uh, suffering I think as a result I had a about a 22, 23 year hiatus in between my bachelor's and my master's. I don't know what I was expecting. I thought that the university was a pretty open place for sharing all kinds of ideas. That was certainly my experience as an undergrad. And I thought, well, here we are 23 years later, it's going to be even more so. Mm. And it was disappointing to see that quite the opposite has happened. There is not a lot of space for what would be considered unpopular opinions. Mm. And by unpopular opinions, I mean ones that are conservative in nature. There is no space for that. And you know, of course, we want people to feel safe and we want people to feel, I want people to feel heard mm. and understood. I think that a lot of people, you know, if you have a conservative opinion, you just really keep your mouth shut. Uh, and I think, again, in, in academia, if we can't be, if we're policing beliefs if we're policing ourselves that's 
that's really problematic. And of course, you know, Foucault was so brilliant and so ahead of his time when he talked about, you know, the panopticon where, where, you know, we have these people that are, that are watching us and we are unaware that we're being policed. Uh, but now it's not just this center of power that's policing group of people. We're all policing one another. We're all policing uh, ourselves. We're policing, because I've had students say, I don't feel like I can actually say stuff in class because I'm whatever. I'm more conservative. I'm Christian. I'm whatever it is. So we're now policing ourselves and we're all policing right. each other. Yeah. yeah. And, and and that that's a very destructive pattern. It's fascinating that after so many years you've you've come back into academia and now you're 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 sensing this this problem and and it strikes me that i wonder how much longer it can continue in this sense as the conservative views and positions are not allowed to get an earring many people are sending their children to the universities uh, for an education it's what you know, we've all been taught. Uh, I know for me, it was always like, you know, Barry, you got, got to get your education. There's a huge portion of the society at large that are not being heard in these institutions, yet they're expected to pay the taxes that keep those institutions going. I wonder, just from a practical sense, how much longer this can, can continue. It's like, um, I think I heard Jonathan Haidt uh, down at uh, in New York, uh, I think it's, uh, was it, uh, University of New York or New York University, who wrote the book, The Righteous Mind. And uh, he was presenting one time and, and he was raising the the idea that, hey, listen, if we're not going to hire the conservative professors, allow the conservative uh, students to have a say in the classroom, I'll, then we shouldn't be surprised if they say at the end of the day, why are our tax dollars supporting these institutions? And mm. and it's kind of like, so there's a practical impact just for the universities, I think, in the long term. But then there's also a societal impact. And the societal impact is that less and less conservatives will be encouraged to go to university for higher education. Therefore, there is this lack of appreciation and understanding of where they're coming from, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're, we're creating a, a polarized society, which is to nobody's good. I think we have long been a polarized society. I don't know if that's a new thing, but certainly I think we're more verbal about it and you know I just I keep waiting for the pendulum to to sit somewhere in the middle what has happened is that you have you have these people who historically have been very oppressed right mm -hmm. women people of color lgbtq people and of course as you said when you squeeze that seed it explodes and that, that happened and now like we want all the power like we're gobbling it up without recognizing that we're you know mm, there can we not share like not why does the pendulum have to go all the way right. yeah to the other side mm. is you know is it and then, of course, what happens is now the conservative people, they want to yank it back. And then we're going to want to yank it back. And it's just become this tug of war that nobody is ever going to really, there's always going to be a winner and there's always going to be a loser if we continue down this path. 
Whereas if we, if we just sort of drop the rope and said, there's more than enough equality to go around. There's more than enough. Uh, I mean, power is a, is a sort of a loaded word, but, but equality means equality, right? Equity. It doesn't, it, there's, there's a limitless amount of equality to go around. If there's not, then it's no longer, it ceases to be equality. And so that's the moment that I'm waiting for, where we're all just standing on even ground. And, you know, I'm waiting for substantial equality to happen, right? And so not this sort of a, you know, formal equality where we kind of treat everybody the same and we don't recognize that some people need a step up to be on, on even ground. What I'm waiting for is for us to all sit on the same level uh, and to be able to, to coexist and recognize that that person's beliefs are not my beliefs and that's okay. Yeah, that's the key point right there. If we have differences of opinion, difference of beliefs and so forth, it seems like right now we've lost the ability to be able to say that's okay. We're we're more like no, oh, yeah. you've got to be the same as me, you yeah, know, kind of no, thing. We we definitely have it's it's definitely not okay right now. Mm. It is um that is not the attitude of people that you have different beliefs and then it's okay. Uh, people are I mean I see it all the time people being really really demonized so now when it comes to religious law lawyering and your interest your passion with this mm-hmm. is it because of your own experience in in uh, in academic world that that you saw hey listen there's something missing here and maybe I should explore it I, I'm just trying trying to get back to the to the genesis as it were of what is yes. it that brought you here? I have been sort of going down a, a path for, I would say for the for the last 10 years. And so when I was thinking about going to grad school, it had been so long since I had been uh, in university that I just, I didn't have an academic reference. I didn't have anything recent. And so I went, I went back to my, uh, it's the University of Waterloo, where I did my undergrad. And I said, listen, I, I would love to, you know, I would love permission to redo a couple of courses and polish my sort of research chops and, you know, kind of finish the stuff that I should have finished so long ago. Mm-hmm. And I had to petition for it. And they graciously said, yes. And I worked with a, a fabulous professor there, Dr. David Seljak, who is in the religious studies department, who also often has a very balanced attitude towards religion and religious accommodation. I really can't say enough good things about him. And I ended up writing a paper about um, religious accommodations for an increasingly pluralistic prison population. And so religious accommodations for people that were in Correctional Services Canada. Okay. And just started thinking very seriously about, about religion in the public sphere, which has, you know, all but disappeared. I mean, what's happening in Quebec is astounding and devastating mm-hmm. uh, in terms of people being allowed to express their religious identity 
it's I mean I just don't even know what to say about what's happening there so I think that started this path and then I I got into my my the master's program at University of Victoria and was again sort of thinking generally about kind of religion in the public sphere Trinity was this is 2016 Trinity was really heating up right and so and so I decided to look at that which got me even more interested in religious identity in you know what it means to be a religious person in this increasingly secular country Mm -hmm. and the challenges that that people of faith must face I think on a on a daily basis increasing Islamophobia increasing you know really wanted to sort of push religion out of politics out of academia out of all these institutions that are I think really important and when I was thinking about what I was going to do my my doctoral dissertation in I there I had a couple thoughts sort of ruminating I thought about continuing the Trinity Western piece because I felt like I uh, there was still lots to say mm-hmm. but I sort of immersed myself in that world for for about three years and I was ready to sort of tackle something new and I just happened to read a paper by Dr. Faisal Baba who is a professor in the faculty of law here at Osgood right and he writes a lot about um you know diversity and uh all, all kinds of stuff. And he had written a paper called Religious Lawyering and Legal Ethics, which I thought was a great paper. He sort of rewrites a piece, a much earlier piece that Sanford Levinson, who is a now retired law professor out of the United States and his home institution escapes me right now, but he wrote a piece on kind of Jewish lawyers. And talking about the impact of the professionalization project Mm -hmm. on Jewish lawyers. And so this professionalization project is this idea that we take these law students and again, we turn them into neutral beings, right? So that Mm -hmm. you are just the zealous advocate for your client and only the client's goals matter. And I don't bring any part of myself into this. So what does that mean? I'm not just for Jewish lawyers, but for lawyers in general, Mm -hmm. And Faisal sort of reworks that to to make it not Jewish specific, just sort of religious identity specific. And he asks a lot of questions in that paper, but he has no answers. At the end, he says, I don't have any answers. Nobody's looked at this and somebody needs to look at this. Hmm. And I had this moment where I just thought, I'm going to look at this. This is a really valuable question because nobody is looking at it. And I Hmm. find our lack of curiosity very curious yeah you know it's it's like it's bad manners to talk about politics and religion you know those kinds of things i i think it's so awesome how you know you come up with um for those who may be uh, listening or watching this is a great example if you're ever going to do any postgraduate work you never know where the inspiration will come to do your phd thesis and i found my own path as well you know it's kind of like oh you know let me look at this and let me look at that and then you know you kind of meander your way around but mm-hmm. the, the whole experience is great because you have this part of your life where you can spend time and ask the big questions and then try to figure out okay what's an answer here there's been so many moments like that where 
you know, you just read something, you have a conversation with something, you just stumble upon something and it changes the trajectory of where you were going. Of course, if it all goes sideways, I will hold Faisal solely responsible. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell uh, me, do, do you have any preliminary thoughts yet? I mean, you're relatively early in the process, but, mm -hmm. but any preliminary thoughts with respect to your research so far? Well, so I have sort of some some big questions that I'm that I'm curious about. And so I have sort of five main things that I'm that I'm thinking about that I'm that I'm curious about. The first one really is just how does religious identity shape one's legal practice mm. or their legal study or their legal teaching? Because I'm also I'm recruiting lawyers, law professors and, and law students. Mm -hmm. And so how does your religious identity shape those things? I'm curious about the tension between one's own personal moral code and professional norms or professional code of ethics. So is there a tension there? And if so, how do lawyers or law students, you know, navigate those sometimes challenging waters? Mm. What I suspect, actually, because I do think that there is this assumption that those two things don't mesh. And I have this sneaky suspicion that what lawyers are actually going to tell me is that having a solid moral code actually helps them avoid professional conflict. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the literature out there on legal ethics does say, you know, these codes of ethics that we have are, are really insufficient when it comes to guiding lawyers in their kind of everyday lives or everyday jobs and that you need to draw upon something else besides just the sort of what's written on the page but it's something that I'm that I'm curious about I'm curious about what you know the kind of increasing secularization of Canada has had on religious lawyers how the broader legal community responds to the idea of religious lawyering I'm curious about you know, people from from religious minority groups, if they are experiencing any unique challenges or unique discrimination, uh, that could be somebody who is a who is a Mormon and a lawyer. It could be somebody who is Muslim and a lawyer, uh, but they would not be part of the sort of majority. Um, you know, not part of a majority sort of religious group could be somebody who's, you know, liberal Christian, but, but from, you know, from India and has, then there's some intersecting things that are going on there. Uh, and, and then, you know, lastly, what can religious lawyers offer to the broader legal profession? Are there, are there benefits from the perspective you know, I, that's not a question that I'll be able to really answer because the scope isn't big enough, right? So I'm not interviewing clients. I'm not interviewing judges. I'm not, I'm not, you know, my sample isn't 5,000 people. My supervisor doesn't want a thousand page dissertation from me, but from the perspective of religious lawyers, what do they think that they can offer? What unique things do they think they can offer the legal profession? So those are the, those are the questions that I'm, that I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. I'm recruiting, but haven't started interviewing yet. Right, right now, I think I'm, I'm open. And other than 
the suspicion that I have around ethics, I'm I'm not quite sure what I'm going to get, which is which is very exciting. It is, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's very different than you know, sort of majoring in you know physics, and I think if I do this experiment, this is going to happen. I'm not I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, and you know, my approach to to interviewing is it has always been one that's sort of semi structured, right? I have these questions in my brain, I have a list of questions that I'm curious about. And partially because you have to submit yep. your list of questions to your, your human, uh, you know, your human research ethics board. Right. Uh, I had to at university of Victoria for them to approve it, mm-hmm. but my approach is always sort of a semi-structured, very conversational in nature, because that's where you get the sort of interesting data and interesting conversations, as opposed to question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. I want people to feel comfortable and just let and just let it unfold. Mm. No, that's very, very interesting. And I think it's um, um, it strikes me, as you mentioned, it's going to fill a gap that we currently have right now in the mm. academic yeah, literature concerning yeah. this issue. And it and it's one that I think will be very helpful for the profession going forward, because the profession itself, it's kind of like like I mentioned, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you, you don't want to be raising the issues with respect to religion because in polite company, there's certain questions you don't ask. And, and I think the, the fact that you are willing to take that on, I think the fact that you are curious about what is for many people, including myself, something that is very much uh, goes to the core of my identity as to who I am as a religious person. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think I just want to applaud you for this. I, I really think that it's long overdue and and I'm just mm-hmm. going to be very interested to see the results of your research and the conclusions you come to in the long term. It's going to be have a very positive contribution to the practice of law, really. And uh, and, and I think I, I uh, a friend of mine just recently published a book. His name is Mark Hill, and he he wrote a book dealing with, uh, I think it's called The Great Christian Jurists or something like that, where they discuss about the the role that Christianity played in the jurist life and uh, in their practice and on their time on the bench and that kind of stuff. And and like we, we really haven't had a whole lot of that in recent scholarship because it's one of those things we just it's it's almost like we've oh well you know we've moved on from that and um and and we're on to new and better things and and anyhow i i just um thank you very much uh, i i'm just wondering if you have any kind of uh final comments that you would have for uh our audience that perhaps you might want to to share i think that we do forget we talk about the law as though it's very neutral and we Mm. forget that the source of law in the western world does come from sort of judeo-christian uh norms ben berger talks about this a little bit and i don't want to misquote him because i know he's probably going to listen to this podcast but he talks a little bit about both law and religion Mm. as these cultural constructs Mm -hmm. when we recognize that then we need to think differently because I think we see religion as this cultural construct and law as though it sort of sprung up 
out of the earth. It grew on yeah. a tree. It, yeah. it happened organically. Yeah. But in fact, they're both cultural constructs. And so when we think about it that way, we then we, we need to recognize that we have these two sort of cultural beliefs or these two cultural constructs that are competing with one another, mm. that 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 both have been created by human beings and we need to we need certainly where the law is is concerned we need to recognize that that the law is also something that we created it wasn't handed down from you know the almighty and of course i know that many there's going to be some who will say otherwise right yeah i know that many of your listeners are not going to see religion (laughs) as cultural construct yeah uh but um but law, in fact, is something that we created based on uh, based on moral beliefs and not necessarily based on the idea of of justice. Mm. OK, well, listen, thank you. Thank you again. And we need to continue this conversation. I, I'm very curious uh, to see how things develop uh, with your research. And we need to. Um, as your research unfolds over the coming years, we need to uh, circle back, as they say, and uh, see if we can um, see what's what's been the result of your of your great work. And uh, thank you for taking mm, the time you. today. I think the the only other last thing that I would say oh, is okay. is uh, communication is mm. just the key to to everything to a to a healthy society to. Mm to peace, Mm -hmm. to, I know it's easier said than done, uh, Mm -hmm. but until we can get into the ring together and start hearing one another, I think that we're going to end up polarized beyond repair. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not where we want to be for sure. It's not where I want to be. That's for sure. No, no. Or me either. Thank okay. you, Gary. I really, I really appreciated this. Well, and thank, thank you. you uh, thank you for giving me the space. Okay. Well, this is great. And I want to thank you, our listeners, and those who are watching on our video podcast uh, for taking the time to hear our conversation here today. You know, as I make it very clear at every program, you may not agree with the opinions of my guests or my opinion. And that's okay, because we're involved in an open, honest, transparent dialogue. Thank you for being with us. And until next time, I'm Barry Bassett. The fight for freedom consists not only in the legal battles in court, but also in the battle of ideas at the universities and in the media. It takes time, effort, and money to keep on top of the debates for freedom. Your donation allows us to keep fighting for all Canadians. Firstfreedoms.ca